1: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post
2: your free job on linkedin.com slash people today.
0: Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the Webby-nominated podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thanks so much to my latest sponsor, the Mermaid Pillow Company, mermaidpillowco.com. They make these amazing pillows with sequins on the back and positive messages on the front, and they now even make custom pillows and blankets. It's an amazing company, and if you enter the code Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y, you will get 10% off, which is super cool. So please check them out, mermaidpillowco.com. I am so excited to be interviewing Jennifer Weiner today. Jennifer is the number one New York Times bestselling author. Her books have spent over five years on the New York Times bestseller list with 11 million copies in print in 36 countries. Jennifer wrote Good in Bed, In Her Shoes, which became a movie with Cameron Diaz, Tony Collette, and Shirley MacLaine. The next best thing, Little Earthquakes, and many more. Her latest novel, which comes out in June, is called Mrs. Everything. Jennifer has also written two middle grade novels, The Littlest Bigfoot and Little Bigfoot Big City and a nonfiction collection of essays, Hungry Heart, Adventures in Life, Love, and Writing. She has appeared on the Today Show, Good Morning America, including This Morning, and many other news outlets. A graduate of Princeton University, she is a contributing opinion writer for the New York Times op-ed and Sunday Review sections. She currently lives in Philadelphia with her family. I'm here with Jennifer Weiner, but I'm going to let her have the whole screen and I'm going to interview her. (laughs)
2: I'm at Jennifer Weiner Writes if you're watching this and you have no idea who I am I write novels Hi
0: She's (laughs) the number one best-selling New York Times best-selling author and has a new book Mrs. Everything
2: Cleavage Sorry Which
0: is coming out tomorrow
2: Tomorrow Tomorrow Cleavage Tomorrow Tomorrow Tomorrow. Tomorrow Pre-order Pre-order Go get it Yes, please Go to Amazon Go to Target Go to Costco Go to your local independent Go to Barnes & Noble It's the Barnes & Noble book of the month Yay Hi, people Oh, I see people. I see people coming. Ariel, will saying, you like, on, tag yeah. and let yeah. people know yeah. and stuff? And yes, right. Oh, and hardcover. Yes, there it is. Right Here, here's this, the finished book, backwards. <laughs> it is, but it's, but not really. Excellent. So here we are, okay, here and you are. In your stunning, gorgeous apartment. This is this is the most beautiful place I've ever been in, and I might not leave. <laughs> Don't leave. I might just live live it here. Would be just, great. just
0: move on in. Come on, yeah, why not? All right. So your new novel, Mrs. Everything. Yes. Can you tell us
2: now what it's about and what inspired you to write it? Mrs. Everything is the story of two sisters, two Jewish American sisters from the 1940s. All the way through the present and slightly beyond into a lightly fictionalized future where there's a woman president (laughs) (laughs) Maybe It's the story of these two women. There's the rebel and the good girl who sort of switch places like halfway through the book. And through their eyes and through their experiences, it's the story of women in America. And that's what I was sort of setting out to do. I wanted to tell a sister story and a woman's story and an American story, a story about America. So that's what I hope I did. And I hope it's a great, big, fun, juicy beach read, too. And is it a
0: coincidence that the (laughs) names are similar to Little Women? No,
2: no. That's a total ripoff of, (laughs) yes, of Louisa May Alcott. So- In Little Women, Jo, the rebel, the sister who wants to be a writer in a world that is not super welcoming to the notion of women writing, ends up married with children to Professor Bear, who sort of makes fun of her melodramas that she's writing for money and says they're trash and they're dangerous and you shouldn't be doing this. And she ends up running a school for boys to the to the still fresh disappointment of many readers of Little Women. And Bethy, Beth is the, is the sister who, who dies. Spoiler alert. Bethy dies beautifully, tragically, very young. So, I wanted to write a story where there would be my Joe who would live in a world that was slightly more accommodating of women's professional desires, but far less accommodating of their sexual differences. And my Joe's attracted to women, and that becomes a problem for her as she moves through life. And then I had my Bethy, my good girl, the pretty one, the the one who's the star of the school plays and everybody loves her and everything, she's great, ends up in a traumatic situation with with a relative that sort of knocks her off course and ends up leading a very different life than probably the one that she'd imagined. So she doesn't die. My Bethy lives, but it's sort of what happens to the good girl, the angelic girl, when life has its way with her. Kind of. So, yeah. And the other inspiration for this book was my mom. My mom, like Joe, married a man, had four kids, lived in a suburb, got divorced, and then fell in love with a woman, much to the shock of her then young adult children. You know, I still remember like getting that phone call, like sitting in the newsroom of the Philadelphia Inquirer and my younger brother calling me and just be like, you know, there's a woman living in this house. And like, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, what am I supposed to do? But he's like, find out what's going on. So I call my mom and I'm like, Fran, what's going on? She's like, nothing. I'm like, you know, nothing new, nothing you want to tell me. She's like, no. And I'm like, Joe says there's a woman living in the house. And my mom takes a beat. And then she says, oh, that's my swim coach. oh, And I'm like, your swim coach. I'm like, Fran, it's not an Olympic year. So like, what is going on? And she's like, all right, you know, her name's whatever. And we're in love and she's living here. Bye. And I'm just like, what (laughs) just happened? Then I have to call my brother Joe back and, you know, and tell him the whole, the whole thing. You know, yes. And, you know, we laughed about it a lot. And it was sort of one of these, like, laughing to keep from, – not, not from crying, I think, but from experiencing the fact that this was sort of shocking and painful. Because it's like, if your mom – is attracted to women or could be attracted to women. Like, was she ever in love with your dad? And like, what are the four of us doing here? Like, where did we come from? And what even happened? And what's the whole story? And it was it was very disorienting. I think that's the word I will use. It was disorienting. And so some of my longtime readers might know that In Good in Bed, there was a character based on my mom who was, like, very much a punchline, like, very much played for laughs. And I always had that character in my head somewhere, and I always wanted to come back to it and sort of, like, say, like, okay, now that I'm a mother myself, and I'm not just this, like, 28-year-old who's trying to figure out her own life and also is trying to figure out her mother's life, you know— I want to really go back and consider, like, what the world must have been like for my mom and for all of the women like her who couldn't live as their truest and most authentic selves because of homophobia and prejudice and fear. So, before your New York Times article
0: mm. came out this uh-huh. weekend, yes. I was wondering, did your what did uh-huh. your mom think? Did you Why? read it to her? <laughs> then you have this whole thing. Like, I handed yeah, it I'm over. Put it, yes. Uh, yes. Writing my mother's sex scenes. Writing my which, mother's uh, sex scenes. There it is.
2: There it yes. is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So I gave my mom the book, and I was working on this book for a long, long time. And I would call her up, and I'd be like, you know, tell me about your street in in Detroit— Growing up in your elementary school in your synagogue, and she'd be like, "Jenny, what is this for?" And I'd be like, "They're just research, just asking questions." And so, you know, finally, she sort of got the notion that this book was like about two sisters, and one of them is gay, you know. And and so I I like put it off as long as I could, and I finally she came to my house for Passover. You know, we do the Seder, and and there's, like, piles of the advanced reader's copies. So I, like, give her one, and she starts reading it. And I'm like, I'm thinking, like, please go home. Please, go home. please just go home. <laughs> do not be here when you read that first sex scene. I cannot deal with that right now. But so she goes home, and then she texts me, like, a couple of days later. She's like, you know, I didn't drop acid. I'm not Bethy. I don't know what you're talking about. So, But, of course, Bethy's not the sister she's based on. So I think she's okay with it. I, I haven't heard any complaints. I, I also have not heard any affirmations. So, you know. We'll see. (laughs) I think it's okay. I think it's okay.
0: You did such a great job, though, of having the Joe character hide that she loves women and particularly her relationship with Shelley. And I was wondering about the kind of—if it was just imagination or if you did talk to people who have gone through that
2: in life or— Yeah, I mean, obviously, some of it's imagination. I mean, like, every writer's job is to put herself into the skin and into the shoes and into the heart— of whoever we're writing about. But I was also very aware that I'm not a gay woman, right? So I didn't live through any of that. I don't know what it felt like. And I wanted to be careful and respectful that I was doing justice to this character. So I read, I went back and I read Ruby Fruit Jungle, which is sort of the sort of definitive lesbian coming of age story by Rita Mae Brown, which I highly recommend. Do we need to get this? I don't know. Do we sorry. need to get it? No, okay, there we go. The sorry. rabbi calls. Sorry, the the rabbi, rabbi literally, called. The rabbi called. literally the rabbi calls. Literally the rabbi calls. I, I, I might be in trouble. I might be in big trouble. <laughs> I told
0: you I have this bar mitzvah meeting after. <laughs> yes,
2: she has, sorry, a, she has a bar sorry, mitzvah sorry, meeting. Sorry. I, have, I have a bar mitzvah coming up in 2020. So I'm like right there with yeah. you. So, what was I saying? Oh, yes. So, I read a lot of gay memoirs, blogs, oral histories, women telling their stories. And then I I had a sensitivity reader for the, this is the first book I've worked with a sensitivity reader on, and it was invaluable because my reader was a bi woman who was able to sort of talk to me about like being aware of the differences and, you know, the bodies and the, all the, all the stuff that you're going to experience, hopefully, when you read Mrs. Everything. Is that actually a job? Like, can you be a sensitivity reader? I don't know if you can be a sensitivity reader for Jews, awesome. right? Yeah, for like, exactly. I, I want to, well, I'll tell you what, though, like, as a plus-size Jewish woman, like, I can read a book, and if somebody has, like, not thought about, like, things, I'm like, that is not right. Or, or like, you know, they just like throw in like a passing reference to like Passover. I'm like, Ugh, that's not, you know, that is not authentic lived Jewish experience. And I wanted to be really careful about the African-American characters, the gay characters, you know, to really make sure that it felt, that they felt as real and authentic and nuanced and detailed on the page as the characters who are like me. You know, and to your question, I do not think that being a sensitivity reader is a full time job. Like most people, they're like librarians or they're editors or they're somewhere somewhere else in publishing. But I I do think it's a valuable job. And I think that there's a lot of debate, as I'm sure you know, about sensitivity readers. Like there's, you know, the Lionel Shriver camp, the novelist who says, You can write anybody you want, you know, you just have to be good enough at imagining things. And then there are writers who will say, the only people who can write black characters are black people. The only people who can write gay characters are gay people. And then there's writers like me who fall sort of somewhere in the middle of that spectrum and believe that any writer can write any character, but it's our job to do it respectfully and to, you know, to be careful, to be thoughtful, to be comprehensive, to not write in stereotypes, to certainly not engage in the kind of broad strokes that are going to get Kids hurt or get gay people, you know, ostracized or made fun of or, you know, physically harmed. I mean, there's responsibility that goes along with, with telling stories. And I tried to really respect my job here.
0: I loved how in the beginning you set the stage with the Shabbat and making hollow. And right. Like, I mean, it was right. so
2: real. Like, you just. Oh, th- thanks. there's like a. Yeah. I don't know. No, I mean, and it was interesting because when I was talking to my sensitivity reader, she's like, you know, food is a place where a culture tells its story. So I want you to think about what Harold's family would have had to eat at Thanksgiving yep. and yep. like what their traditions would have been and what their wise sayings would have been, like all of the things that just felt like completely intuitive because I grew up mm-hmm. celebrating the Jewish holidays. So I know what happens in right. them, but I had to really think like, okay, what's Thanksgiving like? You know, what are the parties like at Harold's house? And it was interesting. And I'm I'm really glad I I did it this way.
0: And one of the things that happens in the beginning is Joe's mother fires their housekeeper, and she loves, and it's like, Deeply traumatic. Yeah. She, Joe is friends with Frida, the daughter of the right. housekeeper. They're like family almost. Right. And then one day the mother says, well, birds of a feather flock together and, right. and May just disappears. May just disappears. And yeah. Joe eventually becomes basically a civil rights activist, yes. goes on all these marches, yes. perhaps inspired by this experience. Right. So how did you think to put in this particular scene or element of the story?
2: Well, that was something that I pulled from my own mother's life. Like my mom, you know, my Nana had a housekeeper and my mom used to tell stories about like she would be in the kitchen because that was where the housekeeper was and played the best music. And my mom liked <laughs> the music and I think was a lot more comfortable hanging out with this woman than she was with my nana, who was very proper and who cared a lot about the performance of femininity, like dressing right and looking right and behaving correctly. And my mother didn't want any of that. And so she was like in the kitchen with her shoes off, you know, listening to early Motown. But you know, one of the the threads that runs through Mrs. Everything is sort of questions of assimilation versus independence. And like, whether becoming an American means letting go of your own culture or your own specific identity, or like, how much of it do you have to let go of? Like, how Jewish can you be and still be a real American? And Questions too of ease and comfort versus doing the right thing, right? So, Joe befriends this African American girl, and her mother doesn't want this friendship doesn't doesn't want this friendship continuing because basically is saying to Joe like your life's going to be hard enough as it is as a Jewish kid. Like you need to, you need to stay with your own people. You don't need to cross these lines. You don't need to go looking for trouble or making trouble for yourself. You know, and Joe is just thinking like, I want to be friends with who I want to be friends with. Like, you know, Sarah's saying birds of a feather flock together. And Joe's like, well, she and I are the same kind of bird. Like we both like to do the same things. And Sarah's like, no, that's not how it works. But, you know, in, in that crucible, an activist was made. Like that's how Joe sort of got her heart for civil rights and for justice. So, you know, and that was my, that was my mom's story. So for Bethy, the mm-hmm. sister,
0: you have her go through
2: so much stuff. Right, I, like, could right, not right. believe it. I was like,
0: not this, I not again. And I felt you know like my what? heart.
2: I will tell you, like, it, it was worse in, like, the first draft. Like, somebody was finally like, okay, you can have this bad thing happen <laughs> to Bethy or this bad thing. They can't both happen to Bethy. Yes, but a lot of bad stuff happens to Bethy. And she copes
0: with it a lot through eating. She mm-hmm. start you start off with all of her intensive dieting, yep. and then the the binging and yep. all of it. Yep. I mean, she uses it to numb herself. Right, it, like all of the, you know. And anyway, mm-hmm. all to cope with her feelings. So mm-hmm. tell me more about about that dimension of better. Well, I mean, one of the
2: themes of my of my work of my oeuvre, if I can <laughs> say <oof>. the <laughs> theme of my oof is women's relationship with their body. So Bethy has a not healthy relationship with her body because of what's happened to her with this uncle. She wants to shove down her feelings and that's what she uses food to do. But she also recognizes how much of her worth resides in her beauty and in having the right kind of body. So then she diets and she sort of swings from extreme to extreme for a long time. And I wanted to talk about the ways that women live in their own skin, where you have Joe who just doesn't care, like doesn't care how she looks, doesn't care about her hair, doesn't care about clothes, doesn't care about any of it. And then Bethy, who cares a lot, right, who cares intensely about how the world perceives her, how she looks, how she presents herself, how people take her in. And ending up just at war with her body because of the ways that she's using food as, as sort of a blanket and a buffer between her emotions and, you know, she doesn't want to feel. So she, she eats. She just, you know, whatever she can get her hands on, she eats and eats and eats. And then, you know, that, that doesn't end up working out real well for her either. But, yeah.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite
0: And I love how this sort of dovetails with the hungry heart, yeah, writing that you right, did in right, uh, right. uh-huh You even said how you're you think you're bad at math, but somehow you're like an expert at the Weight Watchers points That's and how many thing. calories on the treadmill. That's and like, <laughs> I, mean,
2: I read an article in the Washington Post that that dealt with this subject where it's like there's three women in a study group and a guy walks by who's just been to the vending machine. He's like. God, do you guys know how many calories are in a Snickers bar? And without a beat, all three of them say 280. Like they just know. Like you're just born knowing how many calories are in things as a woman. And of course, we're not born knowing that. We, We learn it and we learn it, you know, we learn it through dieting. We learn it through restricted eating. We learn it through watching our friends go through this stuff. You know, I dream of a day when, Bodies will just be bodies, and they won't be, you know, they they won't be sort of evidence of our goodness or our lack of goodness or of our strength of will or lack of strength of will. You know, the same way I want books to just be books and not be women's fiction or you know romantic fiction or chick lit or whatever. But I, I think that that day is is a, is a ways away, and and I did want to talk in this in this book about you know the diet culture and how pernicious it is and how insidious it is and how it's just forever. It's, it's forever. It's, it's just been with us for so, so long.
0: And you wrote an essay called, Take Your Daughter to the Movies, Not to Weight Watchers. Yes, I when did. When you were talking about the Weight Watchers announcement when girls yes. 13 and up could join. Yes, um, for free. You said, because what I know for sure is this, I wish I had treated my body with love and respect rather than blowing money I didn't have on a futile effort to fix it. I wish yep. that I had respected my body's strength and health and insisted that the world needed to expand its views of what was acceptable much more than I needed to shrink. Yes, which is great. I was like, rah,
2: rah, this is awesome. Yeah, I mean, I for those of you who don't know what we're talking about here, around the time that the movie A Wrinkle in Time was coming out, which of course Oprah started. Oprah owns a large stake in Weight Watchers, and Weight Watchers announced that they were inviting 12 and 13 and 14-year-old girls to join for free so they could learn healthy habits. Well, I mean... Weight Watchers is in the middle of this like massive rebranding campaign and they're trying to sort of reposition themselves as like a wellness thing. And it's not about weight loss. It's just about feeling good. It's about being strong. But they're still weighing you. It's still basically a place to lose weight. I mean, like, let's not kid ourselves. And 12-, 13-, and 14-year-old girls are hugely at risk for developing disordered eating. And that is increasingly true of girls of color, who it used to, the thinking used to be, like, bulimia and anorexia are white girls' problems. And that is no longer the case. It is is all girls' problems. And I was, as the mother of daughters, as, you know, somebody who's, like, lived in the diet culture for a long, long time, I was really disturbed by the idea that— these young girls were going to go to this movie and they were going to see somebody who they were going to recognize from Weight Watchers ads, which were all over TV at the time. It was like, you know, this, in my opinion, very unfortunate overlap. I mean, I have tremendous respect for Oprah. I think she's done a lot of good in a lot of different places, especially in publishing and in reading and in getting people to pick up books and in getting people to try out different authors. But I I think that it's, for her... I, I think that it's always been this struggle and it's it's almost this blind spot with her where she can't see that there's something really damaging about like, oh, 12-year-old girl, come to Weight Watchers and we will, t- or WW or whatever they're calling it now, and we will teach you about healthy eating. It's like, well, no, what you're going to learn in Weight Watchers is how to hate yourself. I mean, sorry to be blunt, but it is what it is. And I, I wish that it wasn't, you know, I, I wish that that overlap hadn't happened, but. So I have to say, I was a Weight Watchers leader. Oh, God.
0: Back in the day. Ah, sorry, no, it's so fine. Sorry. No, 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 oh, no. I don't do it anymore. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I was like struggling with how to manage my own weight. Uh-huh. And I went and I like was like, wow, this actually works. I yep. like that I can quantify into numbers and take mm-hmm. the emotion out of it. So mm-hmm. then I, you know, anything I do, I have to be like, all right, well, now I'm going to be a receptionist. And now I'm going to be a leader. Anyway, it uh-huh. lasted for like a hot minute. And, well, but. Um, yeah. I don't do that. I don't do it anymore. And I wish, I mean, I wish maybe at age 25. I had the self acceptance I have now at forty two,
2: but I. I mean, listen, things take time, and I think that you know, if there was a plan that worked, if there was a way you know, if there was a diet that people could go on, lose weight, keep it off safely for the rest of their lives, like, we would all have found it. We'd have found it by now. And it's unfortunate that we haven't. And I think that, you know, I, I would hope that, like, we could somehow expand our notion of what it is to be healthy and to be beautiful instead of, like I said in the article, like, all of these women trying so hard to get smaller. Like, as a writer, when you think of the metaphor of that, you know, and and when you start to notice manspreading, like the way that men take up space, like all the space, and women are just like, you know, cr- we're crossing our legs, and we're crossing our arms, and we're trying to get smaller. It's like there's something wrong about that. And, and again, you know, as I have a 16-year-old daughter and I have an 11-year-old daughter, and I want them to, like, take up space in the world. I want them to just, like— go out there and be loud and be joyful and be confident and not worry about like, am I too big? Am I too loud? Am I too much? I want them to just like, you know, to feel really, really good about speaking up and making noise and taking up space. I think that boys are taught that those things are their right. And I think that we as women are still learning, I think. We have this set of books in LA. It says, You may be too
0: much for some people. Those aren't your people. Those aren't your people. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So let's go back to the book for a minute. Yes. How long did it take you to write this book? This is everything. This is everything. Yes. Comes
2: (laughs) out tomorrow. Comes out tomorrow. Very exciting. How long Um, did it take? And how does
0: this contrast with some of your other books? I mean, you've written a million books by now, but
2: yeah. Well, okay. So this is my first novel in four years. And I mean, there's a couple of ways I could answer this question. Like the short answer is it took about two years to write a draft of this book. The longer answer is that I've been working on it in my head and on and off in a document for like twenty years, like wow. this is yeah, like this is this is my Mount Everest, and it took me like I was I was sitting in base camp a long time, like thinking like Am I ready to make this climb? Because this book, like we said at the very beginning, this is this is a story that covers seventy years, and like there was a lot of research that went into it. There was a lot of plotting. There was a lot of like looking at outlines and looking at documents and being like, Okay, if this happens in this year, then I have to make sure that this happens before this time, so I can reference this event. And like getting the details, you know, the fashions and the home decor and the diets and the things they'd be reading and writing and eating and doing and all of that. And it took a lot. And I wanted, I mean, I wanted a couple of things. Like the first thing that I I wanted is I always want to be challenging myself and pushing myself. And I don't want to always be giving readers a variation on the same thing. Like I want to, it's not always going to be the same I wanted to 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 try something different and to try something big and to try something brave. So it took, you know, either two years or or twenty, depending on <laughs> depending on which day you get me. And what is your writing process like? Like describe where you write. Okay. So I write in my closet, which I know sounds really like sad and Harry Potter under the stairs-ish, but my closet's really big. It's it's like the I joke that it's the Carrie Fisher in Sex in the City 2 closet, but I do not have the Carrie Fisher in the Sex in the City it's 2. Carrie Bradshaw. Or, Carrie Bradshaw. Why am I saying Carrie Fisher? I love Carrie Fisher, but it's Carrie Bradshaw. So giant, giant, massive closet that I have filled with books. And there's like a vanity there where like a more fashionable lady would do her makeup, but I don't do my makeup. I sit there and write. And I work most days from late morning, like 10, 11-ish, to 4, when my kids come home from school. I get up in the morning. I walk the dog. I eat something. I do my exercise, because if it doesn't happen first thing, it's not going to happen. And then I go and I sit in my my clothis, which is a word that I learned. <laughs> it's a closet office, a clothus. I sit there, and I I type. And my dog is usually there sleeping somewhere near me, snoring loudly, and that's it. And I'm really happy. And I'm going to be on book tour for two weeks, which is like, it's so weird to go from like total solitude and like just disheveled pajamas to like, you know, out in public groomed and being polite to people. (laughs) Please come see me on tour and tell me how I do. You're doing well. This is great. Thank you. Your little tiny, tiny I'm waving. I'm waving. People are saying wave here. wait. I'm going to wave at people. I'm going to wave at Susan. I'm going to wave at writer to Shirley. And I'm going to wave at Ryan Trio. Yep. Hello, three people who are watching this. <laughs> Hi. More will they're, come. There are more people. More just, will come. These are
0: just the people who wave. Oh, they're just the people
2: waving. Okay. Yes. All See? right. There's there's Bookworm Mommy of three. Hi. Hello. 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 If you wave, I I'll wave back. I do have more fun. I
0: promise. No, it's okay. <laughs> Don't worry. Listen.
2: So, when do you find time to read? Well, <laughs> I neglect the children and the housework, and I read all the time. I I read, you know, before I go to bed at night, I read in the morning. I read when I'm taking a break in the afternoon. I read on trains. I read on planes. I read by pools. I I read whenever I can. Like it's my, my hobby and my escape and my favorite thing to do. Yes. Awesome. Do you have any advice for aspiring authors? I have about 20 pages of advice for aspiring authors on my website, which is jenniferweiner.com. I read all that. Yeah. I did. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> but you just know, an excerpt. Yeah, yeah, the okay. most important. The most important thing. I mean, the most important thing, I think, is to not wait for somebody to give you permission, right? Like, you don't need an MFA. You don't need a fairy godmother to, like, tap you with a magic wand and say, today you are a writer you need to just like do it. You need to like sit yourself in the seat and make yourself, you know, if you have to set like a word goal, like I will write 500 words every day. If it has to be like, I will write for half an hour every day. I would say... Don't wait for somebody to give you permission. Start writing now and read as much as you can. Read everything. Read all kinds of books. Read fiction. Read nonfiction. Read romance. Read science fiction. Read horror. Read literary fiction. Read stuff that is in the genre you hope to write. Read stuff that is out of the genre you hope to write. Just like read and read and read poetry poetry is great. One of my new favorite things is I signed up for the Academy of American Poets. They will send you a poem every morning from like a modern, a new like poet. So I start off my day with a poem and that's really great. And you get those rhythms into your brain, the rhythms of good sentences and, and new words. And I, you know, write and read is, is my short answer if you want to be a writer. Read and write, write and read.
0: And what is coming next for you? I know you're what like- is coming- Next. I know, it's okay, terribly so, a terrible yeah. question because no, you've just achieved I so know. much. Well, but. it's
2: this like giant, massive book tour in the United States starting tomorrow night in Princeton. I have an event at 7.30 p.m. at the Barnes & Noble in Princeton, New Jersey. And then I, is it 7.30 or 7? It's Wait, my, my publicist is flying in with just, my, my, my schedule. If you go to jenniferwinder.com, it's all there, but it's, Princeton, June 11th. It's a couple events in Philadelphia on Wednesday. Long Island on Thursday. Connecticut, Friday afternoon. Boston, Friday night. Cape Cod, I'm doing an event with Ellen Hildebrand. Like, so much estrogen, you guys. Like, (laughs) everyone might get their periods. I don't even know. But it's all on my website, and once I survive all of that, then I'll go finish the book I'm working on, which is a murder mystery. I decided I wanted to, like, totally change gears and do something like a A little light, which is a horrible thing to say about a murder mystery, but it's like a funny murder mystery. (laughs) The girl who dies deserves it. She's awful. But yes, so that's, that's, I'll go home and and write some more. Awesome. Yeah. Is this going to be a movie, Mrs. Everything? I mean, like the the question with my books being movies is like there's plus size characters in them, so they'd have to like staple two people together oh, to like stop. Be, well, they would. I like who is there? Uh, although I have great hopes for Beanie Feldstein I if you saw books, Yes, Smart, I saw it so good. She's so good. She would be amazing as like a young Joe or a young Bethy. She could play either one she could play both mm-hmm. all all of it. I don't know though. I mean, you know, we'll we'll see. I you know, we'll see. Let's see. Stay yeah, tuned. Stay tuned. <laughs>
0: well, thank you so much for oh, coming this on. This was moms. a Don't pleasure. This
2: was a pleasure. Can I like? I want to see more of this apartment. Yeah, like, sure. We're okay. gonna we're gonna go on a tour. Okay.
0: So bye. <laughs> Thanks again to my sponsor, Mermaid Pillow Co. Mermaidpillowco.com. Slash Zibby, enter code Zibby for ten percent off. Thanks so much. Check out those really awesome giftable pillows and blankets. Thanks for listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. You can follow me on Instagram at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books and at Zibby Owens and my new podcast at Kids Do Have Time to Read. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Thanks for listening. You can always email me at zibby at
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods,